Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from John chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Tamara. Thanks, everybody. Um, you may or may not have, first of all, you need to know that I have sought and gotten, well, there's the Miller family. Welcome, Millers, back, uh, missionaries to Colorado. Welcome back here. It's good to see you guys. Yeah. Um, I have uh, sought and received permission from my wife to tell the following story, which is largely true. She uh, was recently injured in a tragic skiing, very dramatic skiing accident. And I have some footage of it. Well, you don't think that's a good idea to have footage of it? Yeah, okay. I was able to get this footage of it. It was incredible. <clears throat> it was unbelievable. Yeah, in my mind, Taylor, that's how it went. That's how it, that was, that's how it went. Uh, but she, she is injured. Uh, we found out she did tear her MCO, torn MCO. Does not at this point seem to require surgery. That is if she's well behaved as we go to uh, physical therapy. Um, she, now we've, we have physical therapied for the cycle at our house. Everybody now has been to physical therapy for one injury or another. And in fact, she actually uh, was asked to do this, this particular um, exercise last time we were there. And I like to go. <laughs> Not to do the exercises. I like to go and be in there in, in, in the lab, as it were. Um, I, I like these places because they are, in so many ways, great sources for sermons. I see a rehab clinic as an, as an incubator of hope. No, nobody who goes to physical therapy goes to have their lives finally come apart. They, they go for the exact opposite reason, Right? They go because they have been told by a doctor and then by a physical therapist, sometimes physical therapists who, who have the unique capacity to um, communicate a very hard truth every once in a while, that they're being told, you can get better, you can get better. This situation that you are in that might otherwise be deathly, this situation can get better. 
They incubate hope there, and in the process of incubating hope, they, they get other people involved in the process until finally there's a person who is not just hopeful, but finally realizing this hope of being able to walk again or being able to stand up straight again. There was this sweet little old man who walked in this, this, the day that I was there with Kelly most recently. He, he walked in, and he was very crooked very crooked, and he was walking with the cane, and he looked like he was laboring to walk. And the therapist looked at him dead in the face and said, Harold, you're crooked again. <laughs> but he said that because there was going to be some work done that day to move him back toward uprightness. Otherwise, Harold's situation, and, and as crooked as he was in that moment, might have been what I would call a deathly situation. And by the way, you've heard me use that term a couple times now, and, and here's why. This is a loaded passage of Scripture that I'm about to preach to you today. And if read poorly, if read poorly, you start to get mad at God because of all the people that you've lost that God didn't bring back. I mean, we're going to talk about it late in the sermon, but that's how this passage has been received and interpreted before in, in tragic sorts of ways. And so I preach this sermon today to people who have lost somebody. And I know that. I, I've been to most of those funerals. Jason has done most of those funerals. Death is probably the uh, uh, most confrontational, deathly circumstance that you and I will face, death itself. But it's not the only deathly circumstance we will face. Resurrection power and resurrection hope wants to have something to say in all of the deathly circumstances, and that would include the death of that person that you love the most. That would include the person that you've lost, the people that I've lost, God has something to say, and let's just go ahead and get this out. Here's what, here's what God has to say to those of us who have lost somebody. Death will not have the last word, and all God's people said. And so it is a statement at some level about death. But it is a larger statement about how it is that Jesus has ushered in this era in which death does not have the final word, and so death has been assumed into a larger statement that God in Christ is going to make today about life. And not just life, but life that is bursting with resurrection energy. And so what we're not going to do today is refute the reality of death. That, that would be unfair to you and to all the people who are in pain. But we are going to say something about resurrection, life, and energy that now relegates death and the reality of death to something other than ultimate authority. Does that make some sense? So during the Lenten season, here, this is a, another long passage of Scripture that for some reason, year A, in the Gospels, we are offered these very long passages of Scripture and really, really just kind of re asked to retell the stories. And so again, I'm going to retell or reread a lot of this story to you because that seems to be what the direction is here as it comes to the preaching moment. But the question that we're going to be left with is this one. Am I, are we, people who enjoy resurrection and life, 
Or do we find ourselves drawn to and then stuck in deathly circumstances? Do we find ourselves stuck in deathly circumstances? So let's go ahead and let's retell this story. A certain man was ill. This was a, 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 a person who was of great importance to Jesus. This is Lazarus of Bethany, the brother of Mary and Martha. Martha, the kind of the busybody who always kind of wants to be busy serving, and Mary, the one who's just smart enough to know that sometimes you stop so that you can listen and hear and receive. Lazarus, their brother, was ill. And so they sent word to Jesus saying, hey, we know you care about Lazarus, but, but he is, is very ill. And knowing what we know about you, if you could get here pretty quickly, uh, perhaps he won't die. Jesus' response is, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, which this, all this sounds funny, right? We're going to go ahead and let Lazarus die so I can make a point. <laughs> I don't think that's exactly what was happening here. But I do think Jesus is saying, no, I am here and so things are different. That's the first question I need to ask us. Do you recognize that because Jesus is Jesus, things are different simply because Jesus is Jesus and Jesus is here? Anybody? <laughs> that was weak. I need to get Britt up here to help us rehearse some of that again. Yeah, but that's just it, right? I think some people have figured out, now think about this. Have you figured out a way to be Christian that doesn't necessarily cause Jesus to be in the driver's seat? Have you figured out a way just to kind of believe the right things, you know, with your brain? Have you figured out a way to be Christian that isn't wholly reliant on the lordship of Jesus? Or are you Christian? Because that's what it means. But even though Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed for two more days where he was. Now, why did he do it? I've, I've read a lot about this. Why did he do it? There's all kinds of guesses. But one of the guesses is that Jesus was afraid to go back to a place where they had threatened to stone him just days earlier. Friends, in our pursuit of Jesus this whole entire year, we're going to be pursuing Jesus because that's, that's what disciples do. We're pursuing Jesus, and I think what we're going to find time and again, time and again, that Jesus is inescapably human and normal at times. Supernatural, yes, and beyond normal at times, yes, but perhaps afraid for his life here. I mean, can you blame Jesus if Jesus, and you're going to see the people around Jesus are saying, hey, we're not quite ready to die. Maybe he was summoning the courage to go back. Jesus finally says, okay, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, hang on, the Jews were just now trying to stone you. You want to go again? And here was Jesus' answer. Jesus says, are there not 12 hours of daylight? And those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. Have you ever gotten up in the middle of the night and stepped on a Lego? and wanted to fill out a police report of some kind because you... <laughs> Have you ever gotten up at night and just ruined one of your toes because it was dark? All right, now think of that. Now, in the Gospel of John, and we said this last week, 
in the Gospel of John, they sort of narrow down this, this definition of this word that we've heard so often in our lives, uh, salvation or conversion. To be converted is to recognize, to be saved is to recognize that Jesus is God incarnate. And, and to believe that Jesus is God incarnate and worthy of my response, meaning the gift of my own life in response to the gift that is Jesus' own life given to me. Now, we're going to add to Safe that definition a little bit here. I'm chopping. Like there was a car just drove onto the platform here. I don't know what that was. <laughs> but we're going to add to that definition here a little bit. So, last week, to believe in Jesus as the Son of God is to be saved from darkness or blindness. But this week, here's the addition. To believe is not only to be saved from darkness, but to have access to the light. Jesus is all the time in the Gospel of John described as the light, the light that has come into the world, the light of the world. And then it is to live and move and navigate by that light. The best way to not step on a Lego is to have a light. Thank the Lord that we have lights on our phones now and all God's people said. It has saved my toes so many times, just the light on my phone right there. And in a similar sort of way, Jesus is that light by which we can navigate light life and all of the darkness so as not to do damage to ourselves or the people around us. We are led around and navigated by this light known as Jesus. And that light is so bright and so far-reaching that it shines in every dark and deathly place, even the darkness of death itself. Make some sense? So today, very important that you kind of keep hold with both hands of this metaphor of Jesus as light because it is by that light that we are expected to navigate this life. Now, I love this exchange between Jesus and his disciples. After saying this, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep and I'm going there to awaken him. The disciples said, well, if he's sick, you know, Jesus, you know, uh, sleep is actually good for you. We should just let him, we should just let him sleep. And Jesus says, Okay, in fact, Scripture says, then Jesus told them plainly, he's dead. I've added boneheads. <laughs> he's dead. And he again says, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Because perhaps you don't yet grasp the nature of the light and just how much light is available to you. So let's go to him. Thomas, love Thomas. So chronically normal, this Thomas. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, listen to this, listen to this. Let us go also that we may die with him. Oh. So while he doesn't quite get all that Jesus is bringing to the table, he does love this guy. He loves him. You know, I'll tell you what he is, is he's a disciple. A disciple in process. And so he gets there, and of course, Jesus sees all of these Jews, and probably one of the nightmare scenarios comes to fruition right here in front of Jesus. The place is packed with people, and some of them, and it's going to happen later, are going to go and tattle on him to Caiaphas. The place is packed. Martha comes running out and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will, will rise again. And Martha said, no, I know, I went to Sunday school. 
I, I, I remember all the songs. I remember all the stories. I remember hearing the, 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 the lessons and the prayers. I remember that one retreat I went to, and this was the whole topic. Yes, there will become, there will come at the end of time this moment of resurrection when all the people rise up. I get it, Jesus. I, I can't wait for that day, but that day is not this day, right? And Jesus said to her, and this is important. This may be the centerpiece of the entire book, by the way. Jesus said to her, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. And even though they die, they will live. And everyone who lives in me will never die. It's a very interesting construction there. It could have been translated a number of different ways. It could have been translated, won't be eternally dead, right? Jesus says, do you believe this? Boy, this is huge. Do you believe, not just in a future resurrection reality, but do you now believe that that future that, yes, we have talked about, we have sung songs about, this future that we have ached for and prayed for, do you believe, Martha, that here in the flesh, says Jesus, that future reality has come crashing into the present and put all deathly circumstances on alert, you no longer have the last word. Do you believe this? Her answer is fascinating here. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. And then she turns around and goes to get Mary. Jesus perhaps was standing at something of a safe distance. And so perhaps she goes and she whispers into Mary, the teacher is here and is waiting for you. And she comes running out to see where Jesus is. And she says something like this, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now watch Jesus. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, see if you've heard this language before, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus began to weep. Yeah, yeah, because that's, that's, that is the posture of God as it has to do with deathly circumstances that you suffer. In fact, maybe we have here from Mary some helpful language that might even take shape in the next time you, you finally stop your brain and you are able to pray. Here's, here's what I would encourage you to do. Take some leadership from Mary here and be willing to say to Jesus, even as you are stuck in a deathly circumstance that is crying out for resurrection power and resurrection energy and resurrection hope, why don't you say this to Jesus? Hey, Jesus, come and see what I'm facing. Jesus, come and see. And here's the thing. Not only will Jesus come and see, but we believe in a God who will cry with you. And all God's people said, Amen. man, that's important, y'all. That is important. Because being a Christian is not some sort of golden ticket <laughs> that means that you won't have to suffer deathly circumstances. In fact, let me say this to you, good people of faith. If your lungs are filling with air, there will come a moment when you will have to face deathly circumstances and it will be absolutely excruciating. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> And 
No deathly circumstance will have the last word. But in the midst of those deathly circumstances, you serve a God who will weep and ache and mourn with you. Verse 38, Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and the stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha said, hang on, Jesus. You apparently have forgotten how this works because now Lazarus, our our beloved brother, is going to smell really bad, so please don't do this. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. And then Jesus praying for the benefit of the people around him that day within earshot, and that includes you, says this. He looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, and that includes you and me, us, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, y'all. I I mean, still pretty tightly wound and wrapped. And these, it had to be, can you imagine being the person who was tasked to go and unwrap this zombie thing? (laughs) But it was Lazarus. Resurrection power was on the scene. Resurrection energy, resurrection hope was on the scene. Now, what do we do with this passage of Scripture? I mean, again, there are terrible things to do with it. In 2019 in Redding, California, a worship leader lost her baby, two-year-old. And so they called for really an unending prayer service to try to convince God to bring the baby back. 2019, baby didn't come back. USA USA Today reported December 21st that they were planning now a memorial service. Yeah, I don't think that that's a good reading. Please hear me. The anguish cannot be overstated. What do, we, what do we do with this? What do we do when folks die out of time? What do we do? Well, here's a couple of things that I don't think we should do. Let's not try to explain it. Right? And the second thing, let's take the posture of God, which is to weep. And next, hopefully, hopefully, we start to ask ourselves, how might God be glorified even now? Where, where might the resurrection power and energy just show up so that we can be something other than stuck right here in this deathly place? That's what the other passages that were available to me today seem to be saying. One of them is this valley of dry bones, and I know it's one of my, my pastor's favorites, Ezekiel 37. You know this one, right? You have this this valley full of bones. Ezekiel sees it. This is the whole house of Israel. And God keeps saying to Ezekiel, what do you see? What do you see? I see bones. And then the bones come together. Now what do you see? I see bones having come together. (laughs) I see skeletons. 
And then there is, there's muscle and tissue. Now what do you see? I say, well, I see dead bones with muscle and tissue. And then God breathes. And they come to life. God seems to be saying here, I am the light of the world, and that light of the world makes life impossibility and resurrection possible where it would not be otherwise. And we do mean death. We do mean the people who have died. I mean, we actually say it's in our creedal statements. We believe in the resurrection of the body. We do believe in those things. And God, that, and, and Jesus, you might, you might say, John, that doesn't make any sense at all. It sounds too sci-fi. Yeah, man, man. And we're all here because of the story of the resurrection of Jesus. But I can't shake. Something happened way back when and changed a whole lot of stuff. That does not mean that I understand all that God is doing or how God wields the power of life over death. But I do believe in the heart and the character and the nature of God that makes resurrection power and energy available even to a valley full of dry bones. When God breathes God's life, they stand up and they come to life. And some of you are living in deathly circumstances, <laughs> deathly circumstances that may or may not be related to the death of a loved one. Maybe it's something else like divorce. Maybe it's something else like loss of a job. Maybe it's something else like you watch the news too much. Like all God's people said. Some are stuck in deathly circumstances. And what God is doing is drawing a breath. And God is ready to breathe some resurrection power and hope and energy. What if, what if it wasn't just rehab clinics that were known as incubators of hope? What if a church deeply confident in God's capacity, deeply confident in God's capacity to bring resurrection energy to bear in every circumstance? What if a church came to be known as an incubator of hope so that people stuck in deathly circumstances could come in, sing the songs, pray the prayers, hear the sermon, gather at the table, and leave with even this much resurrection hope? So do we live and move around by the light of Christ? Is that how we see so as to be able to move in the world? Or what light is it that guides your steps, my steps? By whose light do you live? Hopefully it's not your own. The light of Christ shines brighter. You can see things that you wouldn't see otherwise. To live by another light or to live without that light is to risk stumbling and stubbing your toe in awful and destructive and terrible sorts of ways. I found another person I really enjoy reading. She's a commentator, and she's written this. The words of Jesus, I'll get to this in just a second. The words of Jesus here invite the church to claim that God's life-giving power in Jesus is the power that determines the believer's existence and not the power of death. John 11 thus offers a promise about how those who believe in Jesus will live their lives, not just about how they will end them. It is the church's responsibility to reintegrate death into the mainstream of its theological and pastoral reflection and experience. The goal of such a reintegration is not to eliminate the pain of the death of those we love. That would be a Gnostic exercise in denial. 
but to help the church experience the life of faith grounded in the affirmation that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. The promises of God and Jesus offered in the face of death can equip the church to understand the promises of God and Jesus offered in the midst of life. So much of what I do outside the walls of the church, whether that's in the realm of criminal justice or homelessness or whatever, that is me, your pastor, walking by the light of the resurrection and in some sense putting God's promises to the test, especially those about resurrection power and energy already at work in the world. But I need to tell you, I keep putting God to the test and God keeps coming through. We have a brand new church board. Haven't even taken the wrapper off of them just yet. That you elected earlier this month. And here is what I'm praying for the board, and here in a moment what I'd like for you to pray for this newly seated church board. Pray that they would help us to continue to be organized, not by the fear of death, but by resurrection, confidence, energy, Pray that we would somehow be organized as a church that would be guilty of incubating hope each and every week. Hope that can be hope that can be used in all of the deathly circumstances that all of us face week in and week out. This is not about when Jesus says I'm the resurrection and life, he's saying more about how you're going to live than how you're going to die. Have you taken that to heart yet? Another way to say it is, are you living by that light? Are you living by that light? If you were helping us to set the table, would you go ahead and come on? Heavenly Father, bless these elements, simple pieces of bread and simple cups. But in your hands, they are something much more. In your hands, God, it is tangible expressions of grace that if we are looking, we might be able to see light. God, help us to see how this light can be used to help us navigate the deathly circumstances that might otherwise hold us hostage and keep us stuck. But with the bread and with the cup, God, liberate us. Liberate us from our deathly circumstances and may we be people who testify to the reality of resurrection hope. And God, may our church be an incubator of hope, known citywide, citywide as an incubator of hope. Draw to us people who are frightened, people who are stuck in deathly circumstances. And may we, by our very liturgy and our very function and by our words sung and our words spoken and prayed, may we be the kind of place where people without hope can find hope. May we be a place that puts some tangibility to the concept of resurrection. If you are visiting with us today, we take communion each week around here by intention, and I'll explain what that means here in just a second. In a moment, I'll ask you to stand to your feet and exit your pew to your left. 
and then to come forward. And as you come forward, you will approach somebody holding a plate of bread right here. It's JR. And as you get close enough, JR will put a little piece of bread into your open hands. And by the way, the open hands part is important. You can't grab this grace. It is offered to you as a gift. And when he does, he's going to say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take that piece of bread and then dip it into the cup. Right here will be Kelly Baker who will say to you as you dip that bread into the cup, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you, and then take and eat. And then if you would, find a place to pray, especially if you find yourself stuck this morning in a deathly circumstance of any kind. Find a place to pray. If you come to one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing, and somebody, it'll be Pastor Ken over here and Pastor Jim over here, will pray that prayer for you if you need to be healed of some sort of a, of a, of a physical ache or pain or a spiritual or mental, emotional, relational hurt, then we will pray that prayer for healing for you here. If you decide, as some did last week, to come to these kneeling benches up front, we're not going to assume anything about you, except at some point, somebody's going to come by, probably me, and touch you on the head, the neck, or shoulder, just to make sure that you know that as you pray, you are not alone, because you're not. You can circle right back around and pray at your seats. God hears those prayers, too. Just want to make those other options available to you. If you would like to make a special trip down here, there's a bowl of water meant to remind you of the moment of your baptism. Just go ahead and dip your fingers into that water. And if you were baptized last week, or last year, or 50 years ago, may you be reminded that you belong, that you belong to God, and are crucial parts of this family. It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. In the same way, he took the cup, held it out before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me, said Jesus, the light of the world. Now, who can participate today? Are you qualified? <laughs> Have you been disqualified? If you recognize your need for grace, nothing else matters. All are invited, but none are compelled. If you choose to sit this out, that's okay too. But all are invited who understand their need for grace. And so now, all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet. Exit your pews to the left and come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of God meant to nourish the people of God.